We are in a section of John's Gospel where Jesus is sharing a final meal with his closest disciples. He has already told them that he's going away, meaning he's going to the cross. And beyond the cross, he will be returning to his Father in heaven. But even as he shared that potentially discouraging news, Jesus also said to these disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And last week we heard Jesus begin to give reasons why these disciples should not let their hearts be troubled. For one thing, his going away to the cross will secure a wonderful future for them. His death and resurrection will prepare a place for them in his Father's house, heaven. And Jesus promised to come back for them so they will enter into the place he has prepared for them. That is a reason Jesus' followers should not let their hearts be troubled. We have a future with Jesus in his Father's presence. But what about the present? Do we have more than just certainty about the future, as great as that is? Do we have reason here and now not to let our hearts be troubled? Well, Jesus began to answer that at the end of last week's passage. He spoke about asking him for things here and now. And this morning, as we continue listening to Jesus, he has more to say about our reasons not to be troubled here and now. As he prepares to go to the cross, Jesus tells his followers, I will not leave you as orphans. We're going to read from verse 15 of John chapter 14. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 1082, or in the larger print Bibles, 1675. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter in verse 31. So John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. 
But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is God's Word. And if you and I are going to grasp the significance of what Jesus says here, we have to remember some words he used last week. Back in chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. Meaning, heaven has room for all God's people. And we've remembered already how Jesus promised to come back for his people so they will be with him in his Father's house. But now, in the passage we just read, Jesus says, in the meantime, he and his Father will make their room here with God's people, on this earth. So yes, our future destiny is secure, and today... God makes his home with those who love Jesus. In a moment, we'll see what it means for God to make his home with us here and now. But Jesus starts out in this passage by explaining who this applies to. Because it is not true of everyone. It's only true of those who love Jesus. And Jesus is very blunt And very clear about what's involved in loving him. It means obeying him. Jesus says it three times. First in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Then in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And in verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And finally, just to make absolutely sure we've got it, Jesus gives the reverse truth in verse 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So it's pretty clear. And notice how Jesus widens it out here to include not only his direct commands about our behavior, but also in verse 23, the whole of Jesus' teaching, including his teaching about his own status as the divine, eternal Son of God, including his teaching about the significance of his death on the cross, including his teaching about the Old Testament, that we're to read the Old Testament as scripture that testifies about Jesus. So whether we're talking about obeying Jesus by accepting his teaching 
are obeying him by putting his commands into practice, the truth is, loving Jesus means obeying him. So as great as it is to experience lovely, warm feelings toward Jesus, as great as it is to say that we believe in Jesus or trust in Jesus, according to Jesus himself, our obedience to him is much more significant than the feelings we have or the claims we make about believing or trusting in him. Jesus says the reality of our love is proven by our obedience. And in the very last verse of this passage, Jesus says that is exactly how he shows his own love for his Father. In verse 31, Jesus loves his Father and does exactly what the Father has commanded him. And so then, why would you and I expect it to be any different when it comes to our love for Jesus? And isn't this a truth that we need to grasp today? Today, when there are plenty of people willing to say nice things about Jesus, even willing to say they believe in Jesus, but all the while living in defiance of his commands and his teaching. Whether it's his teaching about generosity or his teaching about care for others or his teaching about what kind of sexual behavior is appropriate and what kind is inappropriate or his teaching about hell as a real place that is to be avoided at all costs, his teaching that he, Jesus, is the only way to the Father, not one among several ways to the Father, but the only way. How many so-called church leaders in the UK today cough and splutter and finally deny the teaching of Jesus about those things. But here Jesus says, if you do deny any part of my teaching, then you don't love me. Mark Dever says, please hear the words of Jesus here. Do not think you love him because you know what he says. Everybody in John's gospel hears Jesus. Do not think you love him because you have an emotional attachment to him. Do not think you love him because you know his teaching and affirm that it is true and would even defend it to a skeptical friend or family member. Do not deceive yourself. Hear the word of God. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. At this point, you may be thinking, I thought this was supposed to be about helping our hearts not to be troubled. You're making our hearts more troubled than they were before you started. Okay. But if you and I want to appreciate the real blessing there is here in this passage then we must understand the context in which this blessing is given. 
It's for those who truly love Jesus. It's not for those who want to mess around with Jesus. Yes, we are saved by God's grace alone. On the strength of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death in our place. Our obedience to Jesus does not save us, but those who receive God's gracious salvation will have a love for their Savior, and it will be the kind of love that shows itself in obedience to him. Yes, you and I will fail him often in many ways, but if you and I have truly received God's grace, we will long to serve Jesus more faithfully. And we will have a love that grows in obedience to him as the years go by. And here Jesus says to those who have that kind of love for him, today God makes his home with us. Look how Jesus begins to explain that in verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In verse 16, the Greek word translated advocate is paraclete. Now, I realize very well that church sermons are not supposed to be language classes. In general, we really don't need to know the words that are behind the words in our English Bible. But this is a Greek word that's worth knowing. And the reason it's worth knowing is the word paraclete is impossible to explain with just one English word. It can mean helper. It can mean strengthener or comforter or counselor or advocate as the NIV has it. Now those are quite different things. And they are all appropriate ways of describing the Holy Spirit. That is who we're dealing with here. The trouble is, once we pick just one English word, like advocate or counselor, then we risk losing the breadth and the richness of the Holy Spirit's work. In fact, here in verse 17, this paraclete is described as the spirit of truth. Jesus will develop that aspect of the Spirit's work later in this passage. So when you and I read the Holy Spirit described here as an advocate, let's just try to keep in mind that is just one of many aspects of the Holy Spirit's work. He is not only like a lawyer. He is also our wise counselor. He is also God's empowering presence in our daily lives. He's also the one who guides us into the truth about Jesus. And notice in verse 16, the Holy Spirit is described as another advocate, another paraclete. During Jesus' time on earth with these disciples, he has been their divine teacher and helper and comforter. And here Jesus is reassuring these disciples they need not worry that when he goes to the cross in a few hours their heavenly help is going to be gone. 
Not at all. Jesus says they will be blessed with the presence of another divine helper who will be with them forever, verse 16 says. And at the end of verse 17, Jesus says this divine helper will be in them. Last week we noticed that in the Old Testament, God's house was the temple in Jerusalem. God's presence was truly there, behind the curtain in the temple. But we saw how that bricks and mortar house in Jerusalem was ultimately only a foreshadowing of God's true house in heaven. That is the future we look forward to. But we mustn't miss the incredible truth here. The truth that now, already, those who belong to Jesus are the house of God on earth. God the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the New Testament says this in other places as well. For example, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. Here in John 14, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be in his followers. By the time Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he could say the Holy Spirit is in Jesus' followers. So when did the Spirit come? He came after the cross, after Jesus returned to heaven. You can read about the Spirit's arrival in Acts chapter 2. And the New Testament tells us, since the Holy Spirit's arrival, he is in every follower of Jesus. He is in you. If you're relying on Jesus' work on the cross for your salvation. We heard earlier that authentic love for Jesus is love that is committed to obeying Jesus. And if you have that kind of love for Jesus, it is evidence the Holy Spirit is in you. So then, why do the words on the screen not say, today God the Holy Spirit makes his home with us? Why would we not specify it like that? Well, because the incredible truth Jesus is teaching here is that it's not only God the Holy Spirit who makes his home with us here on earth. Having said in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit will be in Jesus' followers, look what Jesus says in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, if we have read on in the New Testament, we know that after his death and resurrection... Jesus did spend a small amount of time with these disciples before he returned to heaven. He came to them in his resurrected physical body. And that may be part of what Jesus means here in verse 18, but it cannot be all that he means. Why? Well, look at verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
Jesus is using the same kind of language about himself as he's just used about the Holy Spirit. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus will be in his followers. In other words, his relationship with his followers will be closer after the cross than it was before the cross. These men thought they were close to him when they sat listening to him teach and traveled the roads with him and ate with him. But Jesus says after the cross and resurrection, they will have a greater fellowship and communion with him than ever. Their relationship with Jesus will be closer than ever. Someone has explained it by saying there will be a unity of life between Jesus and his followers. Not just being in the same room, not just walking on the same road. Jesus is promising a deeper fellowship than that. And it gets even richer. Look down to verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So the Father does not stand off from this unity of life the Spirit and the Son have with us. Jesus says the Father is part of it too. He makes his home with us alongside the Spirit and the Son. How are we to understand this? Well, it's clearly all bound up with the arrival of God's Holy Spirit after the cross and resurrection. This is about Pentecost, the event described in Acts chapter 2. So we are not to imagine the Father and the Son leaving heaven behind to be in us. But we are to understand the Father and Son are as fully involved in this as the Spirit is. The Spirit comes as their representative to such a degree that Jesus can say, when the Spirit is in you, I and my Father are in you. Father, Son, and Spirit are so united that to have one is actually to have all three. Back in chapter 5 of John's Gospel, Jesus said, whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Here the sense is, whatever the Spirit does, the Father and Son also do. Is this stretching the boundaries of what our little minds can understand? Of course it is. But we can get the general idea. The presence of God the Holy Spirit in our lives is not a second-rate blessing. He does not operate alone, ever. The Holy Spirit operates in our lives with the full involvement of the Father and the Son. So much so that Jesus can say to those who have the Spirit, my Father and I make our home with them. 
So we do not have to wait until Jesus returns in order to experience the presence of God. God has come to be present with us here and now. And when we go from this place, yes, there's a fullness of his presence that is still ahead of us. In another place, the New Testament calls the Holy Spirit a deposit or a down payment on what's to come. But what an incredible down payment. Jesus has not left us as orphans. We have not been abandoned to try and make the best we can of this life with our own weak and watery resources. Not at all. As we sang earlier, we are never alone. The Spirit is with us, the Son is with us, and the Father is with us. We have heaven's resources as we seek to live and persevere in obedience to God. Now day to day, when you are in the thick of life, you might not notice the difference that makes. But I can tell you, church leaders notice the difference. There is a world of difference between walking through difficulties with a person who has God's presence within them and trying to walk through difficulties with someone who doesn't. When God is present in a person's life, that person will respond to God's word. No matter how far they wander away, no matter how low they fall, they will respond to God's voice in Scripture. And however slowly and falteringly, they will follow that voice back to God's path back onto a firm place to stand in their lives. In contrast to that, when God's presence is absent from someone's life, then the very best arguments, the most patient counseling, even heartfelt pleading will be like talking to a brick wall. So if you are a Christian, thank God for his presence in your life. Thank God for that voice in your heart that answers yes to God's voice in Scripture. Thank God for the divine helper within you who opens your heart to the correction and the encouragement of Scripture. To call you back from sin and to lift you up out of the pit you might be in. Thank God that even when you are as low as you can be, even when things are as dark as they can be, God's presence within you enables you to trust his word for the day that's ahead of you and take the next step of obedience. Never underestimate the empowering help you receive every day from God's presence within you. 
Look how all of this is summed up by Jesus in verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. The second part of verse 26 is first and foremost a promise to these specific disciples eating this meal with Jesus. Even after several years with Jesus, there is so much these disciples don't understand about him and his mission. But Jesus is saying in verse 26, after his return to heaven, the Holy Spirit will help them put all the pieces together. He will help them understand the significance of what they saw and heard from Jesus. And there are examples of that here in John's gospel. There are several times where John has reported some event or some words of Jesus, and then he said, it was only later the disciples understood after Jesus was raised from the dead, after Jesus was glorified, then we understood what we'd seen, what we'd heard. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The direct fruit of the promise of verse 26 is the New Testament. The New Testament is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts and minds of these disciples. Yes, they wrote down their own eyewitness experiences. And as they wrote, they were given insight into the significance of what they had witnessed and heard. So the New Testament is both the work of human authors, and at the very same time, it is the work of God himself. And that is why this book resonates with Christians. It resonates with us because the Holy Spirit that is in us is the same Spirit who taught and guided the authors of this book. So when you and I hear the words of this book, we are on the same wavelength. We know whose voice we're hearing in this book. And so Jesus says in verse 27, we have peace. Which does not mean an absence of trouble in our lives. In the Bible, the word peace is more about wholeness. When we know Jesus, his Holy Spirit in us answers to the truth we hear in Scripture. Assuring us, through Jesus' work on the cross, we have peace with God. And we have peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever differences we have, because we share the same spirit, we can deal with our differences. And we have personal peace. Even in deep troubles, we have even deeper reasons not to let our hearts be troubled and not to be afraid. So far, this passage has been about us. 
starting with the truth that our love for Jesus must be obedient love. Then Jesus has unrolled for us the life-changing truth that God himself is with us. But now, in the final verses of this passage, you and I fade out of the picture. And in these verses, we are given a reminder that the real center of the universe is not us. It is the eternal love between the Father and the Son. And that is a good thing for us. Why? Because it guarantees our security. Our security flows from the love between the Father and the Son. I once heard a pastor speak about a family situation he had been involved in. A man had cheated on his wife. And when the man met with his pastor, he said, you know, I love my kids. I really do. To which the pastor replied, then for goodness sake, love their mother. The point that pastor was making was, one of the best things you can give your kids is the security of a loving home. And the foundation of a loving home is love between the mother and father. Now that does not transfer exactly to what we're talking about here, but the general idea is the same. As God's children, the foundation of our security is the deep, loving unity of God the Father and God the Son. Look how Jesus points to that in the final verses here. In verse 28, Jesus says, If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. How does that fit with what we've just been saying? Well, it hinges on what Jesus means when he says the Father is greater than I. And if you and I have read just about any part of John's gospel previous to this point, we know this does not mean Jesus is less God than his Father. The first verse of John's gospel tells us the Word was with God and the Word was God. As we read on, we learn that Jesus is the Word. He's God. A few verses further on, we're told the one and only Son is himself God. We could go on with references making this point. Chapter 5 told us the Jewish leaders tried to kill Jesus because he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The fact is, Jesus' equality with his Father makes what Jesus has done all the more amazing. In the New Testament, the book of Philippians explains it like this. It tells us that Jesus, God the Son, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here in John chapter 14, as he prepares to go to the cross and die a shameful death, Jesus can truthfully say, the Father is greater than I. And it's not because Jesus is less God than the Father is. It's because Jesus temporarily gave up the trappings of his divine majesty to humble himself all the way down to death. During his time on earth, God the Son lived in humiliation. During that time, in terms of the adornments of his divine majesty, Jesus was most definitely less than his Father. But Jesus' voluntary humiliation is about to reach its climax and its end. Soon he will return to his Father. The Father will express his love for the Son by exalting the Son to the highest place. And giving him the name that is above every name. So these disciples can be glad Jesus is returning to the Father he loves. The Father he belongs with. And before that, they can be glad the deep eternal love of the Son for his Father will lead the Son through the horrors and the hell of the cross. We love to sing about the love of Jesus for us that led him to the cross. And that is very true. It's accurate, but it is not the whole picture. In fact, it's not even the main emphasis of the picture. The Bible tells us Jesus went to the cross above all out of love for his Father. Look at verse 30. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. In verse 30, the prince of this world is the devil, Satan. We've heard about him before in John's Gospel. He's the one who's working behind and through Jesus' human enemies. Judas Iscariot, who's betraying him, and the religious leaders who are working with Judas. As Satan works in all of this, he imagines the cross is going to be his greatest moment of victory. Killing Jesus. But throughout John's Gospel, Jesus has insisted he is not having his life taken away from him. Jesus is laying his life down of his own accord. In reality, Satan has no hold over Jesus. And here Jesus explains his primary motivation in laying down his life, verse 31, is so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The Father and the Son are equally God, 
And in the son's case, he displays his love through obedience to his father. And in the father's case, he displays his love through exalting and glorifying his obedient son. Causing every knee to bow to the son. In his love for the son, the father has placed everything under his son's feet. The New Testament tells us. And he will cause the Son to be honored throughout the earth as the only Savior from sin. The only way to peace with God. And this truth is the source of our security as Christians. Our security does not rest on our own great performance. doesn't rest on our lovableness or even our likableness. Our security flows from the love between the Father and the Son. At the deepest level, that is what caused Jesus to submit to the cross. That's what led to Jesus being raised by the Father after the cross. That's what caused the Spirit to be sent. So the risen Son will be recognized for who He is. And worshipped and obeyed by me. By you, by millions of others. We have not been left as orphans. Today, the living God makes his home with us. We are blessed to live in the presence of God. And it's all because and for the sake of the divine love between the Father and the Son. We have been taken up into that divine love. But it was there long before we came on the scene. As our last song says, the love and joy of heaven have come down to earth to include you and me. So let's praise our God as we join in singing love divine, all loves excelling.
peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen.